Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Attorney Vincent Davis. <clears throat> and you're on with TalkRadioExperts.com. We're a show devoted to helping people who have problems with Child Protective Services, the Department of Children and Family Services, and the like county organizations throughout the state of California. Today we have a special guest. Um, since I've been doing this, okay, I think we had some tef- technical difficulties there. I apologize. So our first um, guest this this morning, uh, her name is. Well, I won't say her name. She may not want to use it. Hello, are you there? Yes, I am. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, sir. How are you today? I'm doing good. I understand that you have an interesting CPS story or DCFS story, and I was wondering if you could share that with us. Absolutely. Um, Where should I start? Because my story is is quite lengthy. We'll start from the beginning. Give us a full picture. Well, I was contacted by... DCFS in regards to my niece, um, a niece that I was unaware of, and I explained to DCFS, although my heart goes out to the child that I was unaware of and I did not know, that I was uh, not willing to get involved in the situation because of my relationship with um, the parents, um, which is pretty much non-existent. Um, I live a very quiet and peaceful life, and that's the way I wanted to keep it. Um, I was then informed that I would be offered um, protection as far as my identity, my address being kept um, a secret. Um, It wouldn't be uh, made known. It would be sealed. I was also informed that I would be receiving assistance for taking care of the child. I then explained that the assistance was not needed for myself. I was a very stable person. Um, I worked a full-time job. I was married, and I had a family of four. And that was another reason why I did not want to get involved. Although I did not know how I or my family would be affected, I just knew that this was something that I did not want to get involved in. Nonetheless, um, I did want to at least check on the little girl. Um, So what I did was I made an appointment and drove from out of state, which is I was living out of state at the time, to come in to start the background and fingerprint process in which I was told was necessary in order for me to even see the little girl. Uh, Today I feel like it was the process that started um, the lies and the tricks that came along with what I am now dealing with today. Um, after uh, my initial con- uh, conversation with the then social worker, it was very short. Um, he was very abrupt, um, rude, kind of judgmental um, because of his relationship with the case and with the parents. He expected that because I was a relative that I would be the same way. So he was he was kind of nasty. When I first came in to get the background 
check and fingerprints done so I could start visiting my niece, his conversation changed. Um, he became more interested in my personal situation. His questions were more related to, are you single? Um, and when I informed him that I'm not, and this is not what the visit was about, um, the promises of helping to assist if I did get involved with trying to help my niece, the promises of um, what he would do, what he would get the department to do, the county to do, then really escalated into more details. If I decided that I was going to be single, it was very quickly on that the social worker um, of the child showed more interest in me and uh, a, a relationship that he had made up in his mind more so than the child and the case itself. Um, again, I restated my my stand that I was not here to get involved. I was here to check on the baby. I am married, and I am a mother of four, and I live out of state. And unless, you know, there was any kind of way I could bring the baby to the state where I was stable at, this was not even a conversation that needed to be had, and I did inform him on more than one occasion that I would greatly appreciate him refraining from interest in me. Don't worry about my marriage. Don't worry about my family. All you need to do is worry about the child. That's what you're here for. Um, nevertheless, um, that conversation ended on that. But the phone calls started, and the phone calls would start off as if the social worker was interested in the whereabouts and safety and the stability of the child, and he would always bring in, again, his interest in me. And I would then redirect the conversation back over to the child. Um, I had informed him that I had to have 100% support from my family in order to even consider this, and I was still not deciding if I wanted to get involved because I was pretty firm on not wanting to deal, not so much with the department, because I've never had a relationship with the department, but the parenting itself. I was lied to, sir. I was told that the parents' rights were terminated. Both parents were incarcerated. Both parents would not be home for several years. And then I was I was played upon with my heart strength. Um, I really feel that they were watching me, um, not just running my background and seeing that I was um, a, a pretty good law-abiding citizen that has never had, you know, any issues. But I think that he was more watching my interaction with the child and started to play off of that because then every question and comment after that, such as, don't you want the best for her? Don't you want to give her what other kids don't have? Don't you want to give her what your kids have? Do you think it's fair that, you know, this is your niece? so forth and so on, and, and that started to really get to me, and unfortunately I lost focus of what my stance was, which was I don't want to be involved with the department, I don't want to be involved with the parents, and I started thinking about the safety and stability of a child who at the time was only two years old, who I found out uh -huh. through my visit that she um, had been in the system since she was a newborn, since she was an infant. And I, and I did start to feel bad. And that's how he started to right. play on my emotions. Right. Speeding things up just a bit, um, 
I reverted the conversation, this particular conversation, back to the parental rights. I'm not familiar with that terminology, at least I wasn't at the time. I asked for an explanation. I wanted to be sure that what he was stating to me meant if you get involved with helping this baby, not only will we as a department and as a county assist you um, with taking care of her and making sure her, her needs are being met, making sure that it doesn't play on you and cause a hardship for you and your family financially or, or mentally or emotionally for that matter. Um, I wanted to also be sure that um, I did not have a relationship with the parents meaning I don't want to see them, I don't want to talk to them, I don't want them calling me, I don't want to have to call them. I don't want to have to get anyone dressed to go and take them for a visit. I don't want the visits to be anywhere near my home. As a matter of fact, let me remind you again, I live in another state. Can the baby come with me to another state? I was immediately told about what parental rights were, and I was told the termination of them meant there would be no contact whatsoever unless I chose to be in contact. The child no longer had any contact. There was no reunification. The, the parents had no rights, whether they were home or whether they were incarcerated, which at the time they were incarcerated. I was told that with them being incarcerated for several years, that would make it a little bit easier for me. Should they come home, they would have to go through the courts in order to see the child, and I would not have any involvement whatsoever. The clarity on that question when, when I asked, what do you mean no involvement? I was very specific, very detailed in making sure they understood that any consideration of this for me and my family, I did not want our peace of mind or our peace in our home jeopardized whatsoever. And I was informed by the social worker's response, if the parents decide to take you to court to see their child, that they would not, um, if, the, if the visitations was granted, you would not have to be involved. It would be the social worker, which would be, he's now speaking in third party, myself or whichever social worker, or it would be a court-appointed monitor. It would never be you. The only thing you would have to do is make sure the child was available for pickup. We would pick up the child, conduct the visit, which would be about an hour, bring the child back to you. Phone calls would always go third party. The parent would have to get permission through the courts to call in to the social worker. The social worker would then place a three-way call to my residence, and then they would talk to the child. The conversations, because of the age of the child, would last no more than three to five minutes. None of that was the case. I, re I, I then started to visit the baby um, once or twice a month, if possible. Conversations still from the social worker were more along the lines of what he could do um, for me, how he could help me. And then he tried to just tell me I needed to just go ahead and leave my home state alone and come to the state uh, where the child was a resident because he would be able to assist more. I then informed him that I was not going to be able to consider that. Me abandoning my own children as much as I felt bad for this young girl was something that was not an option. Um, he informed me that if I brought up or mentioned my own children or the man that I was married to, that that would prolong the case. By that time, the child would be adopted. So now he's playing on the heartstrings of you've seen the child several times now. You guys have bonded really well. She gets along with you. She looks forward to seeing you. Apparently, you don't have a problem with making the drive to come and see her. And now I'm being told she's going to be adopted. And I said, well, when did this start? 
I was then told that there was a family already approved. She there just waiting for the child, and the only thing that was going to stop her from being adopted and living with strangers and being grown up in a home where she was not a relative by biologically, um, who knows what would happen to her and all this extra stuff that he was m- mentioning, would be if I decided to get involved. So now I'm here and I'm in tears. Um, I'm, I'm now making an emotional decision instead of a mental decision because I have, I'm thinking about my own children and how unfortunate it would be if they had a mother or a father such as the parents of this child. I'm thinking about is it fair for her to grow up without family? She hasn't been with family in in ever, you know, since she was removed from the care of her parents. Um, I'm I'm thinking about how she's been in four homes and she's only two years old now. And from infancy to, to two years old, and, and all of this is just starting to play on my mind, and now I'm starting to feel guilty. He's, he's making me feel guilty by considering not to move forward, by considering not to do this. Um, now all of a sudden the conversation I'm sorry? When you said he's making you feel guilty, who, is, who are you referring to? I'm referring to the social worker. All of my conversations that with the social worker. Um, the social right, worker was with, I'm sorry? Go ahead and continue, please. The social worker was, the social worker was very knowledgeable in the fact that I was unknowledgeable. Um, again, I'll remind your audience that I had never had any dealings with the, with the departments or the county. Um, <laughs> terminology that he used, words that he used to play into my heart um, and ignore the stand that I was taking, um, telling me that the baby is getting ready to be adopted, there's already a family ready, things of that nature, leading me to believe that if I do get involved, I need not to bring my family, I need not to mention my husband because it will prolong the process. None of which I knew was I don't know if it's illegal, to be honest with you, but none of which I, I didn't know at the time wasn't right. Um, I did question, how am I supposed to not mention my husband and my family? Well, it would prolong the process. She's getting ready to be adopted any day now. There's a family approved, and then we'd have to interview. We'd have to background check. we have to do, you know, the whole process we've done for you for your entire family, and we just don't have time for that. So I suggested that... How am I supposed to now get involved? One, you're telling me not to mention my family. Two, I live in a different state. What are you suggesting? His exact words were, you need to relocate to the state of where the child is. I said, and how am I supposed to get up and do that? I have stability at my job. I have stability in my home. I, 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 I'm a, I have a family. Where am I supposed to go to? Are you guys providing housing? What are we doing here? No, there was no provision of housing, but, again, there was additional promises about should you decide to move forward and you relocate, we'll make sure, because you are leaving financial stability, you are leaving your family, that at least you don't have to worry about how you're going to take care of the child. And I asked him what that meant in clarity. What, do, what will you be doing as a department or as a social worker? We'll give you clothes. As she's growing, as seasons change, you'll receive vouchers for clothes, okay? You'll receive um, an allotment or an allowance from the county for the child to make sure she's taken care of. He wasn't able to tell me what that was at the time and how that looked, 
but he did assure me that it would be plentiful in making sure that I did not have to take from my own savings or my own resources um, to take care of this child. I was told that education would be provided, and I informed them that I am not a parent who waits until the child is of school age. My children are started school when they were in preschool, two years old. I want to be sure that this child is in a learning environment. Because of her lifestyle and her unfortunate two years that have been very rough for her, I want to put her around other children, her age, start building her social skills, start seeing where she's at mentally. So if there's any help that she needs, we can get it. And a lot of that will probably show if she's in school. I was told no problem, no problem. And we'll take care of the school. All you need to do is find the school, make sure it's licensed, let us know. I, I reiterate it. Does the school have to be in the area of where the child is currently? I was told no. As long as you're out here in the state of the child's residence, you can pick any school you want to. I said, okay. And then you're going to provide funding. When does the funding start? The funding starts if the child is placed with you. Okay. How about medical? Medical is very expensive for working people. And adding a fifth child to my medical is something that I informed them that although I would be uh, willing to do only if the, the county or the department reimbursed me, if not, I can't do it. And the child has to have medical. I was told that was not a problem. She currently had medical through her state of residence that would continue. So now I'm being told everything that you need from clothing to education to medical to funding to help take care of her, all would be taken care of. The child would not be bothered by any outsiders. You will not be bothered by the parents or any outsiders. And any, any approval for visitation since their rights were terminated would have to go through the courts and then would have to go through the county if approved by the courts. So now I'm getting this picture painted of this is going to be a piece of, piece of cake. And that's how I started to feel. I started to feel like, okay, I just have to simply take this baby in give her the love and stability that I've given my own, not worry about having to take resources from my own to care for another one, not have to worry about the parents who I did not want to deal with or see at all and made a request that if my records could be sealed, I don't even want them to know that the child is with me because of my relationship to the parents. And all of this was told, done, done, ma'am, done, done, not a problem. That's simple. You don't want much. And I'm thinking, okay, this will now make it easier for me to discuss this with my family. I'm not going to tell you that this is something that I can do still because I'm still trying to understand why the baby can't come to my state of residence. Why can't, she, why can't I mention my kids? Why can't I mention my husband? I'm still not seeing that all of that was something that was not, not appropriate, not allowed, um, I'm not now relating him not wanting me to mention my husband to the fact that he's now wanting me to be single. Um, can I interrupt you for a second? Sorry, it's very difficult for me. Yes, you can. Um, one thing I'm not clear about your story, did, did he know that you were married? Or were you having marital problems? What, I mean... Why would he think that he could start up a personal relationship with a married woman? He knew from the very beginning that I was married. The first initial conversation um, before the meeting, 
the the conversation of his interest in so are you married or what's going on with you, so forth and so on. Um, that changed when he first met me in person, when he complimented how attractive he thought I was, um, when he complimented that he couldn't believe I was a relative to the parents. Um, I informed him during a conversation of when he asked me, tell me a little bit about your household, this is going to be important. I informed him that although I am married, I am currently separated. I was separated at the time. And although we were separated, we were working on rebuilding our relationship. And he took that knowledge of knowing that I was separated and ran with that. So now every conversation and every comment afterwards was related to once you become single, let me know. If you make that separation a permanent divorce, then I can do more for you. And these are now the comments and conversations that I'm having. It wasn't that he was trying to threaten what he thought was a solid marriage. He had been aware during our conversation when he asked me during our initial interview and in which he made me feel like it is important for me to notate, to take a mental note, because I didn't see him writing anything. You're leading me to believe that you need to be all in my personal business because of you're considering to place the child with me when really you just wanted to be in my business, I, I end up finding out later, for your own personal interest. And, and that's how that started. I see. Well, was every conversation you had with him, did he always go into that personal space of perhaps starting some type of romantic relationship with you? I wouldn't say every conversation because every conversation sometimes was in, not in length. Um, sometimes I cut the conversation off not every time I was not available for a conversation. And if I called him, it was just about the child. And if he started to go into that personal space, I would sometimes cut the conversation. But quite often when the conversation had to be in length and in detail, when we needed to discuss where the case was, where the child was, where I stood, if there was a time that I needed to visit, if there was a time where he needed to update me, he would use that lengthy conversation to go into my personal space. I see. I see. Okay. Well, did you get the impression that he was trying to start up some type of personal relationship with you? Yes. I, I, and the reason why I felt that way is because of his comments. When you make comments, let me know when you become single. When you make that separation a permanent divorce, um, you wouldn't have to be worried about finances. We wouldn't have a conversation about finances and, and how you're going to take care of yourself if you relocate, how you're going to take care of this child if you were single. We'd be having a different conversation. Um, why I knew all about his past was unnecessary what car he drove, where he was from, where he lived, what he could do, all of that was unnecessary. Um, how comfortable I would be, all was unnecessary. There was no more mention of my children. There was no more mention of, did you remember I'm trying to work out my relationship, or work out my marriage? None of that. It was all now about what he could do for me. And I'm thinking, well, what about, can we just talk about what we can do for the child? Because that's all this is supposed to be about. Again, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm blind to this whole thing. This is new to me. The process is new. His words was new. I was very uncomfortable with, you know, him in my personal space, and I made that very plain and clear. Um, it even got to a point where I reported it, and unfortunately nothing was done. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You reported it. You reported it to who? 
his supervisor is who I reported it to. Um, his supervisor is not information that he provided me. It's not even information that the department provided me. Um, I actually had a conversation with a member of ASFA, and I do apologize. I'm not exactly sure what ASFA is the what the what the acronym is for, but ASFA is the the county service that comes out to basically inspect the residents to make sure it's it's appropriate for a child who um, is is now a ward of the state, so to speak. During okay, my well, conversation, ASFA. Hold on a second. You said you reported this conduct by the social worker to the supervisor. And that what is happened? correct. What, what did the supervisor do? She was very short. She didn't do anything. Um, she was very nasty, very rude, and her comment to me was, she kind of she cut me off when I went into detail about conversations, when I went into detail about com- comments. She cut me off, and she told me, look, um, he's one of my best, he's one of my seasons, and that is not something that I am not w- I'm willing to um, address with him. This particular social worker that you are now speaking of is now on leave, and I will not be contacting him or escalating your concern while he's on leave because he's not here to defend himself. And she told me to have a good day. What did you do after that? Documented the conversation. Um, I became very angry and irate within um, of her response. Um, There were also issues that took place before this, leading up to this, and now I'm doing my own self-research, looking for somebody above the supervisor. I I am intelligent enough to know that somebody always has somebody that they report to. So now I'm making calls. I'm going online. I'm doing everything that I can to now try to find the supervisor above the one who told me that she was not going to acknowledge what I was saying. And And I was successful. And you found that person's supervisor? I did. And what and what did you do? Begin to contact that supervisor several times a day for weeks at a time. Um, never got a hold to the supervisor. Left messages with the, I don't know if it's a secretary or if it's, I don't know how it works in the department, but it was, I referred to as a secretary because it was the person that always took the messages for the supervisor over this particular one. And I was always told the same thing. I'm taking your message, ma'am. I've given it to her. She'll call you when she gets a chance. She's not in the office. She's on a conference call. She's in a meeting. It was just nonstop. Now my calls are getting blocked. They're being screened. And I finally, as embarrassing as it was, went into detail with this particular secretary in regards to what I'm calling for, hoping that that would then make this supervisor give me a call back. She was taken back. She told me she was not surprised, unfortunately, and she would go ahead and give the detailed message to the supervisor above the social worker and the social worker's direct supervisor. I still did not receive a phone call. Um, After weeks of continuous tries and after weeks of continuous messages being left, I became very adamant about if I need to drive down there to speak with them in person, that is what I'm going to do until somebody listens to me. Then I was placed on hold for a few minutes, and now I have the supervisor over the one that did not acknowledge what I was dealing with on the phone. 
she told me that she had not gotten my messages, that she apologized, taken back by what she had heard. She asked me to tell her what had happened and what did not happen um, as far as what the supervisor and the social worker had not done for the child at this point, the inappropriate comments that took place. She asked me if I mind if she placed me on hold while she brought in the supervisor and the social worker in her office so a conference call can be done with me on the phone, and I informed her that that would be absolutely fantastic. I thought resolution was going to start at that point, and unfortunately it did not. What do you mean it did not? What happened? The social worker during this particular conversation was not available. Um, they were not able to locate him. Um, today, I'm not sure if that was true. Um, I was told, oh, he's not in the office. We've tried to find him. But I do have his supervisor, whom you spoke with while he was on leave in the office. And I was blown away. That was first time. I'm thinking, okay, you're in front of your supervisor now. We're going to get resolution. You, you know, you're going to acknowledge what you did not do. You're going to acknowledge what you did and how you handled this. And she did not. Um, unfortunately, she acted as if she had never heard what had happened. She was not aware of what had happened. Should she have been made aware, she would have definitely done something about it. She made um, accusations of how she doesn't run her department this way, um, how she did not know that all these promises, all this invasion of personal space, all this inappropriate conversation, all of this was not made aware of to her. And, and honestly, sir, I hit the roof. Um, I was floored that this particular supervisor at DCFS, she lied. She just, she flat out lied about her knowledge and her whereabouts of what I had been dealing with at this point. And she cut me off every single time I went into detail. Every time I tried to say, well, how is that possible when this is the date that I talked to you? This is what you said. How, uh, what, how am I making this up? How, how would I know this? How would I know that? How would, you know, how would I know that he's on leave? You know, when I just, she would cut me off every time. She would tell her supervisor who was asking the same questions, you know, that is quite interesting. I assure you I did not know, but if you both will give me some time as a supervisor, I will do my own investigation and research, and I will follow up with you. And She's speaking with me now. She will follow up with me within the next business day or two for some type of resolution. She apologized for her not being aware of the messages that I was leaving before she and I actually had a conversation that she couldn't remember having with me. She just apologized for for everything, but it was never admitting that she was ever aware or involved. It was all, I'm sorry, I did not know that this was happening. Let us try to help you. Okay, and this well, was the, was the was the worker you were complaining about? Was he removed from the case? No, for him to be removed from the case during my initial call with his supervisor when she told me that he was one of her best one of her senior workers, and this particular case needed a senior worker um, when she told me that she was not going to acknowledge or contact him because he was on leave. And I asked her during that conversation prior to her telling me to have a good day, can you please remove him from the case when he returns um, because I'm very uncomfortable. I've been leaving you messages since before he went on leave, and you've never returned any of my phone calls. The only reason why I ended up on the phone with her that day is she happened to have picked up the phone. It wasn't that she called me back. 
this particular supervisor never called me back. No matter how detailed my messages were, she never called me back. She just happened to have answered the phone during this two or three minutes of conversation that we had. The okay, worker so was... Well, now you're with her supervisor. Yes. And does, does her supervisor do anything for you? Her supervisor does nothing. She tells me that, in all honesty, since she's just becoming aware of what's been going on and because her 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 supervisor underneath her, the person that she's put in charge to run this department, was not aware Although I'm on the phone giving clear details, dates, and time records of when conversations took place, because the supervisor led on that she was not aware, her supervisor says, well, why don't we give um, her an opportunity to try to address this situation and resolve this matter for you before things get out of hand? And I said, things are already out of hand. You placed a child with me that you did not even tell me I was getting on this particular day that you gave her to me. You placed a child with me who's medically challenged. I have no medical history. I have no medical card. I had no car seat. I had no clothes. I had nothing for this child. So this is not just something I'm just now complaining about. I'm talking about everything up until this point. There's no funding that's coming in for the child. You guys have denied the school that I have found for her. The parents are calling my home, and they're being very irate. They're calling me at all times, hours, days, and nights, making threats. I've been informed by them that they know where I stay because somebody in the department let them know. And I informed them also that they've told me that they are allies with the supervisor who is giving me the issue, that she's going to help them get their child back. The supervisor interrupts me and tells me, oh, that that is just completely false. I don't have conversations with the parents. I don't, I don't have anything to do with the parents. But the parents are giving me very, very good details in regards to conversations that are having that they're having with this particular supervisor that they've been informed by this particular supervisor that the visits and the phone calls that are not happening are not because of the county or the department. It's because I don't want them calling. I don't want them seeing the child. Um, and, and all of that, which was true, but all of this was supposed to be protected. I was supposed to be protected by DCFS. I was not supposed to have to endure the mental anguish that I had been dealing with with the parents who were threatening to come to the home uh, of where I stayed, who were threatening, you know, of getting involved in a, a negative manner. It was just, it was out of control. And now I have to deal with all these comments that were inappropriate from the social worker. So now I have a couple months' worth at this point of negativity, none of which I was told would ever be an issue. The supervisor supervisor, and I'm not familiar with the terms, I believe that the supervisor that I'm now referring to is considered an ARA. She informed me to allow her supervisor to investigate, do her own research, because she was not present for what was going on and had just got involved. She can't take sides, but she has to support her department and give her supervisor an opportunity to try to help me with my situation. So, again, now I have a third person of superiority on the phone who's not doing anything, and she did not do and anything what, going forward. And what did you do after that? I continued to contact the ARA, the supervisor, over the social worker and the supervisor, 
um, before she ended her, I would say, close to an hour conversation with myself and the other supervisor that was present. She told me that if I did not hear from this current supervisor within a certain time frame, we were going into the holidays at this point, but she gave me about a week's time frame because of the holidays that were coming up. She said, if you don't hear back from her within a week, you are to call me personally. You are to let my secretary know that you're on the phone, and if I'm able to, you know, get off the phone or if I'm able to put what I'm taking care of to the side, I will come to the phone. If not, I assure you I will call you back. That was the last conversation that I had with that that direct supervisor at DCFS. She never took my calls. She never called me back. She never acknowledged anything that was still continuing, and she never acknowledged anything that had not been resolved. She ended the phone call leading me to believe that now I have found some help. Now I'm going to start getting the peace of mind. Now the phone calls from the parents are going to stop. Now the harassment from the parents. Don't worry about the social worker, although he is on leave currently. And you will have a temporary social worker while he's on leave. We will assure that this social worker is not placed back on the case um, just because of your being uncomfortable. We're not validating what you're saying he has done. We're not validating the fact that you're saying he has violated your personal space. But we don't want our caregivers and our foster parents at all feeling uncomfortable, especially since they've done a great job in stepping in and taking care of children that really need them. So she led me to believe that she was going to be supportive of uh, making sure that I had some type of peace of mind going forward, that she was going to address the issues of funding. She was going to try to find out why there had not been any medical, why there had not been any approval for education and informed me that she was going to do what she is supposed to do, which is allow the supervisor of the social worker to have a, a, a set amount of time to research the case and come up with the solutions that would be beneficial to the child and to the department and to give her a call in a week if that did not happen. And that was the first and last conversation that I ever had with that direct supervisor. Again, she never took my calls, and she never returned any phone calls to me. It was a okay, couple well, of months that passed. Hold on a second. Are you, when did all this first started going on? What month and year? When I first became aware of the child and and the situation of her being in a foster home, it would have to have been uh, late August, early September of 2014. I see. So about the about late summer, early fall of 2014 is when the first conversation of introducing myself to the social worker and checking on the whereabouts of the child in question. And then um, a couple of weeks after that was the first initial conversation in person in which I started to background check and fingerprint and which I was told was necessary to just see the child in October, um, late September, early October, I started visiting the child, and I saw her two or three times up until November 20th, in which I was told I was contacted about two days beforehand and informed that the child had a court date coming up, and if I did not show my face at court, the judge is more than likely going to go ahead and adopt the child out. I asked for clarification on what adopt the child out meant, and I was told that reference back to the first conversation in person that there was a family already selected 
for the child. And unless the judge can see that there is a stable relative who is able to take the child, she's going to be adopted out. I was asked, I asked at the time, if I show up to this court hearing, is this just so the county uh, and the council and the judge can put a face to the name, or is this for, you know, what are you guys trying to do? And I was told, this is just to see you. This let me, is let just me the- Let me interrupt you for a second. Let's fast forward to present day. Has any of this been resolved? No. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, it's only gotten worse. Um, I have a pending investigation of, against myself, and and I'm I'm telling this, and I and I'm hoping that I will be of some type of encouragement to your listeners um, to let you know that you are not the only person or the only people who have gone through this. Um, I am now having an investigation pending against me. Um, Child Protective Services was called on me very recently. Um, The accusations, I'm abusing and neglectful of the child. When I received uh, the knock at the door, I was very taken back. I thought it was some type of joke, and I quickly soon found out that it was not. Um, Hold Hold on a second. I want to stop you right here because I've got a bunch of callers that are calling in, and I want to take their call. Um, would you be willing to come back on the show and uh, finish your story? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Uh-huh. It will be of any an encouragement to anyone, yes, because I wish that I had the help and encouragement. Okay. I'm going to call you back. Um, I have your number, and we'll set something up. But thank you very much for coming on the show this morning. I appreciate you having me, um, and I and I do apologize if I took too much of your show, but trust and believe me, you will not believe the things that I've gone through with, with the DCFS and what I'm currently dealing with. Um, what okay. I've mentioned is just only... And that's why I want to have you back on the show so you can tell us those things. That is completely fine with me, sir. I do look forward to receiving a call from your station. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. You're welcome. You have a wonderful Okay. Well, I'm going to take another call. Um, I'm going to speak to someone who has an area code of 818, and the last four di- uh, digits are 9113. Hello? Good morning. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vincent Davis. Good morning. Um, I was calling because at the last court that I went to, I was given liberalized holiday visitation. And this last week, I went to see the, the social worker, and she denied my right to go pick up my son for the holiday. And on Thanksgiving Day, when I went to see the the, the foster caregiver, she told me that I couldn't pick up my son. I was wondering if with the court letter that said that parents had the right to liberalize holiday visitation, if I could take that to the police station and pick up my son on the holiday. Unfortunately, in my experience, the police would not do anything 
with that court order since a social worker is involved. Um, so you missed Thanksgiving with your child? Yes. It was verbally denied, so there was nothing written saying that I couldn't have my son for the holiday. Okay. Um, let me let me tell fall- you what to let me tell you what to do so you don't miss out on the uh, on Christmas and New Year's and the holidays coming up. Do you have a pen and a piece of paper? Uh, yes. Okay. So this, I want you. Do you have a court appointed attorney? I do, and I've contacted his office. I've actually physically been there, and I'm not seeing any results. And I've even asked to speak to the supervisor, so it's it's Okay, well, this is what I think you should do. Do you have your attorney's email address? Yes, I do. Okay, so I want you to email your court-appointed attorney and tell that person what just happened, the same that you just told me, and tell them that you want your visitation enforced. That court-appointed okay. attorney can file paperwork with the court or walk on the case for an emergency hearing so that the judge can reiterate and clarify what type of holiday visitation you have. Okay. Okay. So, now, um, should I make a copy of that email and send it directly to the court as well? Because at the, la- at the previous court, he didn't help me fill out the 388. And I'm not getting any responses from the calls that I that I him, even though I talked to the supervisor. I don't feel that he's really working towards reunifying my family. Okay. So one of the things that you should do is you should there's a head of the firm um for your court appointed attorney and I I'm by based upon your area code, I believe you have a case in Monterey Park in Los Angeles County. Okay, so your court-appointed attorney works for um, a law firm, and each of those law firms have a head, you know, a person who's in charge of the law firm. And it's been my experience that those folks are very responsive, so perhaps you should write the email to your court-appointed attorney and CC um, the head of the law firm. You can get the email from the head of the law firm by going to a website called calbar.org, C-A-L-B-A-R.org. And you can look up any attorney, at that website you can look up any attorney's name, telephone number, and email address. And I think if you write that email to both those attorneys, you will have, um, you will get a response and you will get some action taken. Uh, Thank you for your call. I'm going to take another call right now. Thank you. Okay, I'm going to take a call from area code 626. Last four digits are 6576. Hi, Vince. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Hi. This is Lee. I'm calling because I had an attorney tell me that I should request a trial. And I'm a little confused about the difference between a hearing and a trial. And why is a trial so important? Okay. So 
you actually ask a very good question. And the reason why I say that is that the term trial and hearing are sometimes used interchangeably. Those terms are used interchangeably. But in my opinion, they mean very different things. Let me give you an example of what a hearing is. A hearing is where you appear before the judge and there's <clears throat> excuse me, no plan uh, for you or any attorney or any party to put... I'm getting some um, feedback from you. I don't know if you're on the phone and listening to me at the same time. Yes, I'm on the phone. Okay. So... Are you listening to me at the same time on another radio or another device? No, are you getting feedback? <clears throat> I'll hang up. Okay. If you hang up, I will go ahead and answer your question. So a hearing is where you appear and no party or attorney plans to put on any witnesses on that date. There may be some oral argument by attorneys about certain issues, usually minor issues. Um but a hearing, uh, they don't usually take testimony. A trial, on the other hand, is where a judge is going to determine usually major issues of fact or law, and the parties and all the attorneys are given the opportunity to put on evidence, meaning they're, they're able to call witnesses to the stand, they're able to put in documentary evidence, uh, such as exhibits, pictures, videos, that type of thing. And you actually have a trial. Now, in California, juvenile dependency cases are done, or trials are before a judge, not a jury. In some states in, in the country, uh, they allow you to have jury or modified jury um, trials um, that you and your attorney actually put on evidence. That means you call witnesses to the stand to testify. Um, in this week coming up, I have a couple of trials, and in the past couple of weeks, what we've been doing in my office is we've been making a list, <clears throat> talking with the um, the client about all the witnesses and pieces of uh, paper and pictures and documents and videos that we want to submit to the judge, and uh, we would we do that, and that's part of the trial. But you want to make sure that when you have a trial that you, your attorney does not do a trial by just oral argument. In 99% of the cases, um, doing a trial by oral argument probably is not going to be beneficial to you. Now, is that to say that I've never done a trial by oral argument? No, I have. There are certain situations where you may want to do a, a trial by uh oral argument, but those are very, very rare. So um, those that's the differences um, in my mind between a trial and a hearing. Um, we have approximately four and a half minutes left in the show. Um, I don't have time to take uh, another call. In our previous shows, I always get caught and go off the air for the listeners while I'm still in the middle of a um, telephone call. So I'm not going to get caught. I do want to remind people that we are on the air every Saturday morning at 8 a.m., that these uh, radio shows are replayed during the day, and they can be heard on demand 
at our website, and that's called talkradioexperts.com. You can go to that website and listen to any of these shows at any time. You can also get a transcription of the show. Um, We're here every Saturday trying to help people with their CPS and DCFS case. Uh, Another purpose of our show is to just educate parents and relatives and to at least show them where to get the information they need for their fight. I did want to mention today something that keeps coming up in court in a lot of our cases, and that's Welfare and Institutions Code Section 309. Google it. Read it. Welfare and Institutions Code Section 309. That section mandates that the social worker should be investigating all possible relatives and close family friends for placement of children so they don't have to be put in strange foster homes. It should be done at the beginning of the case. If you wait later in the case, as time goes by, the less likely a relative will be able to get the child. So make sure that you and your attorney um, talk about Section 309 and that you and your attorney make requests to the judge that these relatives be investigated. In my office, what we do in a lot of cases is I personally ask the parents at the beginning to write down a list of 25 relatives and close family friends who could possibly take the child or who could take the child. And I ask for their names, addresses, and telephone numbers and uh, email addresses if they have them And then I ask for the relationship of that person to the child. So if it's the mother's mother, it would be the maternal grandmother. If it's the father's brother, it would be the paternal uncle. And there are a group of relatives um, by law that have a preference. All relatives have preference at the beginning of the case. But there's a group of relatives that have what I call a super preference. And those are grandparents, aunts and uncles, and adult siblings of the child. A lot of times, I have a case right now where the social worker placed the child with mother's mother's second cousin. Now, although that person is related by blood, it's it's not one of the super relatives who should have gotten that child and right now in the middle of a fight of moving that child from this distant cousin to someone in the super preference, uh, which is an aunt and an uncle of the child. So make sure that you talk about Section 309 with your um, attorney right up front at at the beginning of the case. Finally, I want to remember, I want to remind people that in this country we can effectuate change at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. So anytime that you have the right to vote or the opportunity to vote, please exercise it. And I want to let you know that in California, most state judges are are elected or at some point in time have to face re-election. So if you don't like the judge you're dealing with, go to the uh, ballot box and vote. I'll be talking to you next week at 8 a.m.